Halloween is coming up. Um, it's, I think it's much more important now that I have kids than what I did before. <laughs> before kids, it was kind of like you have like a random friend who would have a Halloween party every once in a while. That would be that would be it. I had an apartment before I met Alina. I had an apartment off of airports, like airport and 52nd Street. Um, that the only person that came by at night was the security guard for the lots next to the <laughs> So there weren't any fans coming by. I wasn't used to that. Uh, but now we have. Um, Dominic, my oldest, is turning six on Halloween. So we talk about Halloween all year long. <laughs> it's a, it's a year-long event, um, and he gets so excited, and we say, like, everybody celebrates your birthday. It's so great. Everybody gets it's a, it's a costume party for the whole world just because of you. <laughs> but, but a few weeks ago, because we talked about Halloween a lot, he was asking me, well, how long have people celebrated Halloween? And so I told him about All Saints Day, and I told him about celebrating the saints in the church and the saints in our life and how it was called All, All Hallows Eve before, how kids would, would dress up like, like demons and ghosts because they, so they wouldn't be attacked by the, the demons and ghosts that would want to try and grab the saints before they got to heaven. And, but then he responded to me like, well, people don't dress like ghosts anymore. They mostly dress like superheroes. <laughs> and I, was, I was very astute, five-year-olds. <laughs> um, and, and he was right. And, and it, it happens. A lot of people dress like, like superheroes. Superheroes are so enticing. You can, you can fly. You can fly like Superman. You can drive the invisible jet like Wonder Woman, um, which is what she does. It's very strange, but it's good for her. She's awesome. You, know, you, have, you shoot lasers. You can be super rich with gadgets. A lot of superheroes are super rich with gadgets. Um, but though kids don't focus on the super rich part, it's the gadgets that are important. But you help people. You protect people. You be a hero. Heroes are dramatic and special. There are many different kinds of heroes in our society. Not all of them are fictional. We have, we have heroes in, in medicine, heroes in sports, celebrity heroes that people look up to. People who are lifted up. So what is the difference between a hero and a saint? And that is the question I want us to be, be holding on to wrestling with today. What is the difference between a hero and a saint? We're starting a new series on, on how to be a saint. Um, three, three easy steps to sainthood. <laughs> we'll get to that in two weeks. If you, if you come back on All Saints Day, I will give you the lowdown about how to be a saint. Um, but... But the question is, like, what is a saint? Who is a saint? How can I be a saint? How can you be a saint? What, is, again, is the difference between a hero and a saint? Before talking about sainthood, we need to, to look and think about holiness. And in order to begin about holiness, we must remember that our principal understanding of holiness comes from God. It comes from God who created everything out of nothing. God is not this being that is really powerful, really far away, who's like controlling us with these invisible puppet strings. God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the source of creation. God is set apart from us. In theology, we call it the creator-creature distinction, that we, the qualities of a creature, of something that is created, are, cannot be interposed onto the creator. Holy means something that is set apart. In the Bible, the first mention of holiness is with the Sabbath. On the seventh day, the seventh day, God wanted it to be holy and set apart. Not just a day off from work, but a day dedicated to God. Further on in Genesis, we have Jacob, who I call the weasel, Jacob the weasel, 
who is leaving his father-in-law's property and he sends his sheep ahead. He sends his wives ahead because he's afraid of his brother. So as, you know, as he is wont to do, he sends his sheep and his family and his servants and his wives to be killed by his brother and he stays on the side of the river. Um, and Jacob goes to sleep. But in the sleep, God gives him this amazing dream, this amazing dream of the staircase to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And he realizes it is holy ground. And he marks that space and he marks and realizes God is going to do something amazing, even with a weasel like Jacob. In Exodus, when Moses is out as a shepherd, he goes out um, to the wilderness and he sees the burning bush and he hears a voice that says, I am that I am. I am the God of your forefathers. Take off your shoes, for the place you're standing is holy ground. This place is different. It is set apart. It is not the same thing. The word saint comes from Latin, from sanctus. And so in the early church, you have, you know, not a ton of books, but you have lists. You have lists of the holy people, of the saints. Oh, sorry. And, um, and it would be like sanctus unia, sanctus paulus, sanctus petrus. And in English, which is because it's a funky language, it comes from Latin roots, Romance roots, and Germanic roots. Um, instead of translating it into Holy Paul, Holy Junia, it would be Saint Paul. And so they would separate. There's a different word for holiness and, and sainthood, even though it means the exact same thing. But now you fast forward to our modern world, and it's different. You know, you don't use it in the same way. You don't use that person is a saint or, or that person is holy in the same way. But it comes. It comes from the exact same root. English people like to, like to butcher words. It's a good, it's a good habit of ours. But it, it's important. A saint is a holy person. A saint is a holy person. Lifting up the prayers from the ground. Um, no. A saint is, a, is someone who is set apart. And we can see the allure of, of sainthood in our scripture for today, in this, this passage from, from Mark, where the disciples... And Jesus are on the road to Jerusalem. They're going to Jerusalem. Jesus says over and over again, guys, I'm going to be killed. <laughs> and bad things are going to happen. And over and over again, they don't listen to him. They hear all the good things. It's like, like Charlie Brown talking like, and they're like, oh, yes, Jesus, it's going to be wonderful when we get to Jerusalem. And it's like, guys, no, again and again, I'm going to be killed. Bad things are going to be happening. And so then James and John, again, missing the point, walk up to him and it's like, I got a favor to ask of you, Jesus. Can we sit on your right and on your left? That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be great? And Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. You do not know what you are asking. He has said what is going to happen to him, but they do not understand. They cannot drink the cup he is going to drink. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be challenges. And we see that clearly in this brief passage from Acts with Stephen. Uh, I only wanted to read two verses because it's hard to read the whole, it's hard to read more than two verses and not do the whole chapter. And the whole chapter is like 60 verses. Um, it's fantastic. I really recommend reading Acts 7. Because, and so Acts 6 is when they call the deacons, yay deacons, think he's going to be a deacon. But they call the deacons and they're like, you know, there's these people who are set apart and they're, they're preaching and teaching, but we need people to take care of the widows and the orphans. Who's going to do that? Who's going to serve food? And so these deacons are called. And Stephen is one of the deacons. And Stephen is arrested, and Stephen is taken, taken in front of the square, and they charge him with, with blasphemy. And he gives this amazing speech, this amazing speech, which is Acts 7. And again, I recommend all of you to read it. It's fantastic. 
of how, how God is, how Jesus is found in all of the scriptures. And all of history is summed up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then they stone him. And then they stone him. And Stephen is known as the proto-martyr, the first martyr. Martyr, again, one of those funny words. That martyr is Latin for witness, but witness is a Germanic root, where martyrus is a Latin root. And so the church took the Latin root and has it as this, like, separate thing that we don't use in daily life. You don't, like, if you have a trial, the, the lawyer doesn't say, oh, we're going to call the first martyr to the stand. That doesn't happen, but that's literally what it means. That's what is going on there. Martyrs were, were early saints. It was their sainthood was confirmed. Their holiness was confirmed. As Protestants, we each have a canon of saints. Canon, again, is, is a list. And all these words that are used in different ways in different faith traditions, but mean the same thing. We have a list of the holy people in our lives. We have a list. We have our own lists of people who we respect for their faithfulness. People in history whom we respect, whom we look up to. Next week, we're going to be talking about the personal saints in our lives, living or dead. But today, I want to look at the global ones. Many of the people of the New Testament are seen as, as saints. Many of the, the early church mothers and fathers, St. Junia, St. Luke, St. Paul, as well as people who lived in the early church. St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Anthony, St. Polycarp, St. Perpetua, and St. Felicitas, holy people. If you are from the Anabaptist tradition, if you're a Mennonite or Amish, um, you've seen this book before. This is The Martyr's Mirror. It's pretty intense. This is a, over a thousand pages. It weighs probably seven pounds. Um, this is stories of people who have been killed for their faith. From, I think it starts with Stephen and goes on. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people in the Mennonite community or Amish community, their bedtime stories are reading from the martyr's mirror. And so no matter what age the kid, you have an infant, and you pick a random page, Andres Longdul beheaded in the prison of Antwerp, 1559. And that's, and that's but that, like, that habituates this habit of the expectation of what it means to be a faithful Christian, that this is, this is the cut you're going to drink, but that doesn't mean that God is not good in this. It's a really, I recommend you looking at it. It was originally written in Dutch. The first English, the first American edition was in 1745 um, in German. But, and so this is, it's a really, it's a really interesting book to look at, but that, that, that way that, that the saints are mentioned, that way that the canons of the saints are brought forward. In the Methodist church, the early Methodist movement were filled with stories of holy people. Wesley loved to share stories of the circuit riders, stories of the people who would go and preach from town to town to town, who would get up early and preach at the coal mines before the, the coal miners came to work. He would, he would share all these stories. The early Methodist movement was filled with the, the language of Christian perfection, and Wesley loved to use examples of this. It's not just this far-flung idea. It's a concrete thing to have the love of God and love of neighbor shed abroad in your heart. And not that people don't make mistakes but that we can be filled with love. And there are examples of this. In the Catholic Church, there is a strict process for becoming a saint. Um, and it's to be put on the canon or list. You must have lived a good life and have two, uh, two examples of miracles that are attested. A long time ago, this is where the word the devil's advocate comes from. The devil's advocate was the one who had challenged the, the miracles in, in the process of becoming a saint. And a lot of Protestants talk about, you know, all well, the Catholics worship the saints, and that's not really true. It's the belief in the communion of the saints, that the presence of God is filled with those who have already passed before us, and we can intercede with them to God, with those who are already worshiping God, 
currently in the beatific vision. And I can talk to you more about the difference between Catholics and, and Methodist views of saints, but I, I mentioned this because last week, a week ago today, there was a saint in the Catholic Church who was officially canonized, whom I really admire. And I want to talk about him. Oscar Romero was the bishop in El Salvador in, in Central America, and he was killed in 1980. He was an advocate for the poor. He was an advocate for those who were suffering. And there are a few news reports about him. I want to read from it. This is a report from, from NPR about Romero's life. In Romero's war on inequality, the transistor radio was his weapon. Live broadcasts of his homilies on WSAX, El Salvador's Catholic radio station, became the most popular program in the country. And on, quote, on Sunday, every house had their radio on. Morales Tijerino recalls. If someone was walking from one end of the neighborhood to the other, they wouldn't miss a moment of his homily. Another quote, listening to Monsignor Romero was prohibited by the army, but everybody was listening, including his enemies. Priests and nuns who advocated for and supported the poor were targets. Right-wing militants bombed the radio station in February of 1980, and flyers showed up outside churches with the message, be a patriot, kill a priest. Romero said, I received notice that I'm on the list of those who are be, to be eliminated next week. He told his congregation one month before his murder. But let it be known that no one can any longer kill the voice of justice. Another person said, I was so close to him, we were friends. Jose Enunicia Alas said, a former priest in El Salvador. The last time he saw Romero, Alas sensed that his friend was afraid. There was a moment that he said to me, Chencho, they want to kill me, but I must stay with my people. He was offering his life. And on March 24, 1980, Romero was celebrating Mass with a small gathering at the chapel of the Hospital de la Divina Providencia in San Salvador. And a gunman from a right-wing death squad shot him as he stood at the altar. Romero was standing, was standing like this, offering Jesus to people. And that was a threat. That was a scene as a threat, and he was killed. He was killed for this. Because he was speaking for those without a voice in his country. The government was trying to shut him down. Saints live in the present, but beyond the present. That is, they, they are present, but do not live or die at the control of the status quo. That is not their ultimate concern. The saints represent Jesus. Holy people represent Jesus, represent in a literal sense. They present Jesus again. They present Jesus again. And when we see a holy person, we are reminded of who Jesus is and what love really looks like. And for us, what is so important is that holiness is not just other people. Holiness is not just people on this fancy list. Holiness is not just people who lived long ago and far away. Holiness is here for us because the reason why there are holy people anywhere is because God is with them. The same God that is with us all here today. And so when we think about those in the history of the church who have done amazing things for God, we must remember, as it says in the Gospel of Mark, whoever wishes to be great in the kingdom of heaven must be a servant. Greatness is not found in power. Greatness is not found in wealth or authority. Greatness is found in service. 
Greatness is found in speaking for those without a voice. Greatness is found in lifting up those who have been beaten down and bandaging up those who have been wounded by this world. Sainthood is not just for other people. Holiness is part of the mission of the church. As Oscar Romero says, this is the mission entrusted to the church, a hard mission to uproot sins from history, to uproot sins from the political order, to uproot sins from the economy, to uproot sins wherever they are. What a hard task. It meets so much conflict amid the selfishness, so much pride, so much vanity, so many who have enthroned the reign of sin among us. Holiness is a challenge to this world because selfishness and pride do not understand it. They cannot comprehend a selfless act. We are told that everyone is only out to get something for themselves. The distortion the world teaches over and over again how hard it is to love in the midst of this distortion. We are not in a new time. The Bible is filled with the challenges of sin. How hard it was to uproot the sins of Egypt, the sins of Babylon, the sins of the kingdom of Israel, the sins of the Roman occupation. Romero continues, the church must suffer for speaking the truth, for pointing out sin, for uprooting sin. No one wants to have a sore spot touched, and therefore a society with so many sores twitches when someone has the courage to touch it and say, you have to treat that. You have to treat that. You have to get rid of that. Believe in Christ. Be converted. That is the mission of the church. That is the mission we see in our saints, in the people of history, who, do not, live, who not only lived good lives, but presented Jesus again. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about this. I want us to be familiar with this language of saints, of holy people in our lives, of holy people in history. Because holiness is offered to you. Grace is offered to you. You could be more than a superhero. You can be a saint. And in a world turned upside down, how amazing is that? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.